You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Compromise doesn't always claim us at first. It comes on gradually and it kind of sneaks in. It kind of comes in unaware. And next thing you know, you're in the midst of this problem that because you've been compromising the Lord all along. Compromise is the cleverest, most seductive, subtle, effective, and deadly tactic that Satan uses against Christians. It is incredibly subtle. It is incredibly clever. It's incredibly seductive because it looks okay. Give someone an inch, and they'll take a mile. You've heard that many times. Well, in today's message, Pastor Dave shares that when we compromise in inches, our decisions can become miles. And those miles are leading us away from God and His plans, and into a big mess if we're not careful. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 22, as he begins his message, Judgment Has Come. First Kings 22, you're having a hard time, it's between First Kings 21 and Second Kings. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you. Thank you for the great time of worship we had. Thank you for you've given us gifts to worship you with. You've given us voices. You've given us ability to play instruments. You, you've just given us so much ability. Plus, you've given us a heart of worship. And that is so important, Lord, how we declare our love for you. So thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, as we come to your word, pray, Lord, that we would have open hearts and open ears to receive your word, Lord, as it's written, the word of God. It's your word. Yes, it was written by man, but the Spirit inspired men to write this, Lord. So help us, Lord, to glean from these pages things that you want to talk to us about today. Help us, Lord, to be students of your word. Help us, Lord, to just grow in the grace and knowledge of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to see him on every page, and help us, Lord, to know that you're working mightily in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you, and we ask, Lord, now as we say goodbye to an old friend, King Ahab, Lord, that we would recognize some of his woes, some of his ways, Lord, that were not right by you. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to study these things and apply them to our lives, because that's what's important. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. 1 Kings 22, and as we have been studying through 1 Kings, we've come to find out that Ahab was the most wicked king in Israel to date, to that time frame. In fact, we read 1 Kings 16, verse 33, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So Ahab got a reputation. It wasn't a great reputation, but he got a reputation doing more evil than anyone who had been before him as king. What did he do? Well, for one thing, he and his pagan wife Jezebel had led the people of the um, kingdom, the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, remember. He led them into spiritual adultery. What do I mean by that? He took them away from following the Lord God Jehovah to following the false god Baal. 
And they began to worship Baal. And, and, and Ahab even built a temple for Baal in the capital city of Samaria. Ahab allowed Jezebel to kill all the prophets of God. She went after the prophets of God and he allowed her to kill them. He disobeyed God's command concerning the Syrian Ben-Hadad who came against Israel. And that'll come back tonight. But because of this, God passed judgment upon Ahab. Turn quickly to uh, 1 Kings 20. Look at the end of that chapter, verses 42 and 43. The Lord is speaking to Ahab. He says, uh, actually he's speaking through the prophet Elijah. And he says to Ahab, thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. So God passed judgment because of Ahab's wickedness. God passed judgment. You know, a lot of times we think we can get away with things because God's judgment doesn't come immediately. And a lot of times we think that because that doesn't happen, God has either overlooked it or God somehow strangely approves of what we're doing. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes God, who is long-suffering and who gives men and women a chance to repent and come back to him, will allow you to all go on and on and on thinking that everything is rosy in the midst of your sin. Well, God hasn't said anything about it, so it must be okay. This is pretty poor thinking. This is not the case with our buddy Ahab. Ahab encouraged Jezebel, and he refused to follow the commandments of God. She led him to commit murder because he wanted the land of Naboth. Remember, Naboth had a vineyard, and Ahab coveted it. He wanted it, so he went and he asked to buy it. And Naboth said, I can't sell you the land because the land belongs to God. I can't give you that land. And he was following God's commandment. But Jezebel said, oh, no, 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 honey bun. If you want it, I'll get it for you. And she arranged for Naboth to, to be killed so that Ahab could buy the land. So Ahab was a conspiracy in murder. You know what's cool? All this time, we read time and time again where God showed mercy to Ahab. God showed grace to Ahab. God was there if Ahab needed him and if Ahab would just but turn to him and repent of his sin and come back to God, God would have favored him and made him mighty. But he did not. The same thing happens to us. God is waiting to be wanted. He is waiting for us to repent, to turn and come back to him so that he can restore us and build us up in his love so that we can follow him. But even though there comes a time when God's judgment must fall, there comes a time when God basically has had enough and God's judgment must fall. We're going to see that in the world. There comes a time when judgment will come and it will come to the house of Israel. Judgment will come to the house of Israel in the form of the great tribulation. Seven years, God will deal with the nation Israel and those who are left behind because they have failed to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. God will deal with them. God's judgment will fall upon the earth. We will be responsible for our sins, and God will call us on account. So as we now come to chapter 22... We're introduced to yet another king, but this time he's the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And his name is Jehoshaphat. 
And it's interesting that I see, as we begin this, a contrast between King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah. And look to go skip ahead to verse 43 in chapter 22. For, for the first thing we said, he's, we're going to talk about this. Speaking of Jehoshaphat, verse 43 says, And he, Jehoshaphat, walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So right away you go, well, wait a minute. That's a huge contrast to Ahab. Because Ahab was one of the most wicked kings Israel ever had. And now you hear, you see Jehoshaphat following the four steps, uh, footsteps of his father, who was Asa, a very good king, a righteous king, one who followed the Lord. But look at the next sentence. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifice and burned incense on the high places. Where was all that supposed to take place? In the temple was supposed to take place in the temple. wasn't supposed to take place anywhere you want it. But what they would do is they would go up to these high places, up into the mountains, and they would build these altars. And they would burn incense and offer it up to the Lord. This was forbidden. This was forbidden in God's law. And Jehoshaphat allowed them to do that. So we see this, this mixed match. He was a godly leader. But then he becomes involved in compromises. He begins to compromise, and these compromises cost him dearly. One of the compromises costs him tonight. He allows his son to marry Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. And you can read about that in 2 Kings 8. He allows his son to marry the daughter of Ahab and, and Jezebel. This is going to affect them in many ways, but it's going to cost them almost his life. And another compromise he has, he willingly joins forces with Ahab's son, Azahiah, and he tries to import foreign goods. He tries to get some shipping going and trying to import foreign goods. And we're going to look at that later on in this chapter, how the Lord wrecks his fleet and rebukes him for his sinful legion. But first we come to this compromise about the fight for Syria. The fight for Syria, and many, many scholars that I read call this the, the, the battle compromise, the, the compromise of Jehoshaphat. And let's read. Let's start. First Kings 22, verses 1 through 4. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Remember when Ahab defeated King Hadad? King Hadad had promised to give back cities that were won by the fathers of Israel. He didn't do that. He welched on the deal. He didn't give these back. So Ahab says, hey, we're going to go down and we're going to take this city. We're going to take it back by force. So he asked Jehoshaphat, hey, come help us out. He's relying on this relationship of marriage to persuade the king of Judah to join forces. But it does make some sort of sense because Ramoth Gilead, is only about 40 miles from Jerusalem. So if I'm a king and there are Syrian forces 
There in Gilead, Ramoth Gilead, 40 miles away, that's a great staging place. And who knows, if they get big, they're going to attack Jerusalem. So it does make kind of sense. But it's a bad compromise. It's a bad compromise on Jehovah-fat part. He had already disobeyed the Lord by allowing his son to marry into Ahab, so he felt like he was in kind of a bind. And as I read this, this is what compromise does to us. Compromise puts us in a bind. It puts us in a position that we don't know our light right from our left. We don't know which way to turn. We're in a compromise and we don't know what to do. The sin of compromise doesn't always claim us at first. It comes on gradually and it kind of sneaks in kind of comes in unaware and the next thing you know you're in the midst of this problem that because you've been compromising the Lord all along. Compromise is the cleverest, most seductive, subtle, effective, and deadly tactic that Satan uses against Christians. It is incredibly subtle. It is incredibly clever. It's incredibly seductive because it looks okay. It looks okay from the outside, but when you get into the midst of it, you find yourself in all kinds of trouble. Satan doesn't really expect you guys or me or any Christian to wake up one morning and go, I'm going to sin like heck today. We usually don't just jump into a horrendous sin. It usually doesn't happen. But through compromises, it kind of grows and, and kind of ferments and just gets bigger and bigger. That's what a compromise is. And then all of a sudden, when you least expect it, when you realize what happened, it's too late. It's too late. You're done. You stumble and you fall. And instead of falling headlong into a pattern of sin, we drop our standards one little notch. One little notch. We drop our integrity one little notch and it becomes impaired. And then all of a sudden our character is endangered and our relationship with the Lord is compromised. And I've said this before and I'll say it a thousand times. And when you reach that point, I guarantee the first things out of your mouth is, how did I get here? But when you think back to that little tiny compromise that you allowed into your life, how now all of a sudden it's this huge problem that you have to face. This is where King Jehoshaphat is. This is where King Jehoshaphat is. He disobeyed God by allowing his son to marry the daughter of Ahab. He compromised. He compromised. But because he is a godly man, because he is a godly man, he's a good-willed man, he is going to turn to the Lord for advice. He's not just going to jump in two feet with Ahab. And I think this is smart of him. This is a good thing. Something I think is going to confuse Ahab. It really kind of confuses the whole situation. Let's read 5 through 9. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please, inquire for the word of the Lord today. So he's saying, hey, guy, let's go to the Lord. I'm not just going to run out there in battle because I know all too well that if the Lord's not with us, we ain't a heap of trouble. We're going to have a problem. So and then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go up against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into your hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not one still, not still a prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Now nah, there's still one, Micaiah, the son of Emiah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. (laughs) I'm sorry, that just sounds funny. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. 
And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such a thing. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Emiah, quickly. So here's what's been set up. Ahab wants to go down and take this. And it's interesting here. They said, well, get all the prophets together. Well, Jehoshaphat knows he's in a land of paganism. He knows that he's in a land where these guys are all over. He probably heard that Jezebel has killed all the prophets of God or tried to. He, he probably knows all that's going on. And he looks around and sees 400, pro- 400 prophets down there. But Jehoshaphat wasn't real hot on these guys. <laughs> you know, I just love this fact. Because let me ask you a question. If you wanted to do something, if you really thought you wanted to do something, and you asked 400 people, and all 400 people said, go for it. How, how much would you go for it? 400. How much would you go for it? And these are prophets of God. How much would you go for it? Come on, be real. Asking 400 guys. I mean, we get away, we ask one person, they go, go for it. You go, you run, start running out there. This is 400 people. Maybe he heard of these prophets, but I love what I really picked up here is that Jehoshaphat is using a spiritual gift. What is it called? Discernment. He's using a gift of discernment. He says, wait a minute. Isn't there one prophet of the Lord? He's looking at these 400 guys who just told him the Lord would give you a place. He said, wait a minute. Isn't there one prophet of the Lord? He sees all these guys. Isn't there one guy? Imagine this. Imagine this. When Ahab gathered the prophets together, they were faithful prophets. They were happy to please the king. Remember what he said about Micaiah? He only says things to make me angry. He only says things against me. I hate him. But all these guys are like, yes, king. You know what? I like him too. And this just came to my mind because my mind is weird. Don't go there. Anyhow, I love it when in Daniel, when they always ask these guys about Daniel, the first words out of their mouth is, oh, Lord, live forever. You know, they're just real pansies. And that's what I see here. These guys are saying, whatever you want, whatever, we know you want to go there. We're with you, king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't go against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. People pleasers. But good for Jehoshaphat. Good for Jehoshaphat. He wanted to hear from a prophet of the Lord, the Lord God. But something is wrong with the prophet Micaiah. Ahab says it. I hate him. <laughs> I hate him. Why does Ahab hate him? Because he's a prophet of Jehovah. He's a prophet of Jehovah God. He's a true prophet. And so Ahab hates the truth. Ahab doesn't be around the truth. He doesn't want this guy to come up and tell him. He doesn't want this to happen at all. I hate him. I don't like him at all. He hated the messenger because of the message. But his real conflict wasn't with Micaiah, was it? Who was Ahab's real conflict with? Jehovah God, yeah, absolutely. That's where his conflict was. He didn't trust God. He didn't trust Jehovah. Some of us are like that too. Some of us have something on our mind and we want to hear somebody tell us what we want to hear. So we go over to Rick and go, hey, Rick, can you tell me about that? You didn't tell me the truth. Al, no, Sam, Vivian, uh, no, no, no. And we keep going. And all of a sudden, somebody tells us what we want to hear and go, I knew it. That's what the Lord wants me to do. Come on. Don't look at me like I'm crucified by the only person who knows that. I, come on, you guys know that. We do that all the time. You see it happen. People, I'm telling you right now, people come to me and they ask for counsel. And I give them counsel from the Word of God. I give them the best counsel that I can possibly give them from the Word of God. The next thing I'm seeing them out there asking somebody else. They're asking somebody else the same counsel. I'm like, okay, fine. Sometimes they'll ask five or six or seven or eight. And then Mr. Footmouth walks up to him and taps him on the back and goes, there's a guy walking across the street. You better go ask him too. 
We do that all the time. You need discernment, folks. You need God's counsel, man's counsel. You don't need my counsel. You need God's counsel. You would hope that I'm getting receiving something for the Lord to give to you, but you need God's counsel. You want the Lord's counsel. Ahab was not willing to listen to what the prophet Micaiah would say. And it gets better. Let's look at 10 through 12. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, each sat on his throne at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Kenah, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesy, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead, and prosper for the Lord will deliver you into a king's hand. Woo! Makes this big show. What if you think he put that thing on his head? What if he put that thing on his head and was going around? Can you imagine what that would look like? 400 of these prophets all chanting, and he had his horns on his head. Come on. They sat on their throne at the threshing floor. It's an ancient custom. This is where they judged. They judged at the gate. They judged at the city gate at the threshing floor. This was, it was custom. They made decisions there. Who sat at the city gate and made judgments in the Old Testament? Lot sat at the gate and made judgments. He sat at the gate. This is where judgments are made. These unfaithful prophets like Zedekiah, they prophesied in the name of the Lord. But they didn't prophesy truthfully. You know, many commentators believe that these prophets were pagan prophets, maybe representing Baal or even Ashtoreth or somebody else, but, but they clearly weren't prophesying in the name of the Lord. Maybe they were true followers of Yahweh at one time, but they were seduced by Ahab and Jezebel, and they, had, they saw Ahab's shallow repentance back in uh, 1 Kings 21. But then they began to align themselves with Ahab, and everything he did was perfect, and it would never come against them. They were afraid. We see this today. I'm sorry, we see this today. We see strong Christians, men and women who teach, men, men who stand before people and teach the word of God. And all of a sudden, they're drifting, and they're fading, and they're, they're teaching something else other than the gospel, and they're even renouncing Jesus Christ. And they're saying horrible things. We see this. And it's a sad thing and it breaks my heart. To see good men, solid Christians at one time. Men who led many people to the Lord. And now all of a sudden they've taken a, a, a different turn. And they're going a different way. They're following a different God than we know. And people are following them by the droves. Could this be the great apostasy that was predicted? The great falling away? I don't know. But it's very grieving to me. Especially when I see young people following these guys. Very sad. Very sad. Zedekiah puts the horns on his head. It must have been pretty cool. What an object lesson, right? You guys are going to gore him. You're going to go up there and you're going to get him. Horns of iron illustrate two thrusts of powerful forces. Ahab and Jehoshaphat. They're all praising. Then comes Micaiah. Let's look at 13 through 16. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, Now listen. The words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please, let your word be like the word of one of them and speak the encouragement right away. You see, he's being bullied into making a decision. You are You've been learning from the book of 1 Kings with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Have you ever found yourself in a place like King Solomon where the temptations of the world really had a grip on you? With all the gimmicks of the world, it's not surprising. It's also not surprising that you're not the only one. 
many struggle with the temptation of letting worldly things lead them rather than let the things of the Lord lead. But there is hope. Just as Solomon came to recognize that all his women, wealth, and wisdom wasn't what really mattered, you too can learn that things of the world are deceiving. So rather than put your hope and faith in the things that pass away, put your hope and faith in the one who's everlasting. God is constant, he is faithful, and he will never pass away. If you missed any part of today's teachings or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you are listening, you realize that you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.